Lord. It's so good to uh, see each and every one of you here this morning. Thank you for choosing to gather with us this morning. So great to have you here. Take your Bibles and open them up to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. This morning, of all the titles that we could probably place on the text, I, I think it just is fitting God's amazing grace and mercy. God's amazing grace and mercy. I want to say it's so good um, to see folks that have traveled back in from out of town, some whose schedules have finally adjusted back, some who have recovered, um, and it's just a great day to be in the house of the Lord. And I, I think you noticed Miss Elizabeth up singing with the team this morning. I had instructed her on her first Sunday back to take the Sunday off and just to relax but um, the Snyders are back, and she walked in grinning from ear to ear, and two of our other uh, singers this morning were out of commission, and she was grinning. She said, well, Pastor Chad told me to wait, but I'm ready to sing if you'll let So there she was. I appreciate that. Uh, Carl, Brother Carl, called me this morning. He was delayed on something and said, man, I need some help putting out the signs, the parking signs. And I, I happened to look out my window. I was in my office when he called. I said, I don't know who, but there's somebody doing it right now. And we both just said, man, I love our church. People just see a need and jump on it. I'm grateful and uh, so grateful to be here this morning. If you're just joining us today, we are uh, three-fourths of the way done with Jonah. And so we come to chapter three. I've done a chapter a week, and you could probably slow down in some sections and speed up in other but uh, that's where we are. We're in Jonah chapter 3. Um, here's a question I have for you this morning. Then I'll recap a bit for those of you joining us for the first time. We open with that wonderfully, beautifully graphic verse of the fish vomiting Jonah out on the shore. And uh, remarkable, yes? Here's my question to you. Who was happier that Jonah was out of the fish? Jonah or the fish? Like... I don't know. I think Jonah was happy to be alive, and we'll see what he does with his second chance. But uh, I'm thinking that a miserable missionary or a pitiful prophet or a rebelling child of God is enough to turn anybody's stomach, even a fish. Just a hunch that I have. What's the story of Jonah? God called Jonah in Jonah chapter number one and said, Jonah, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites. I want you to leave from where you are in the safe confines of your prophetic ministry here in Jerusalem and Israel under the reign of Jeroboam II. And I want you to go to this people that Israel hates because they're the enemy. The Assyrians are literally trying to wipe them out. And there's Nineveh, a wonderful capital city. And it's actually kind of like Charlotte Mecklenburg. you got people that say they're from Charlotte and they might not be in the city limits of Charlotte but man, Charlotte, if you ever say that, Charlotte will tax you. I just I found that out. Like if you ever say, hey, I'm from near Charlotte, bing, that's the tax thing going off when you say that. But, but it's the Charlotte metro area. It's the, it's the Nineveh metro area, if you will. And so he calls him to go to this great city and to proclaim the message of truth, a message of warning, a message of doom, right? And Jonah doesn't even tell God no. Jonah just goes the other direction. He literally goes down to Joppa, hops on a ship, goes the other way. God uses the storm to get his attention. 
He uses the sailors, pagan sailors, actually start praying to God and ask Jonah to pray to his God, and he won't, so he uses them. Ultimately, God has Jonah cast into the sea, and then he's swallowed up by the big fish, the great fish. Chapter 2, we get Jonah's prayer life in the fish. We see not a perfect, repentant prayer. Aren't you glad that God can hear our prayers even when they're not perfect? Amen? Yeah. But we see a desperate man crying out and coming to the realization that God is in charge, that God is merciful, and that we were made for God's glory. And God says, all right, lesson learned, and then the fish spits him out, and here we are in chapter 3. What's he going to do now? Well, I've entitled the message, God's Amazing Grace and Mercy, and I want us to see it at play. If you're taking notes this morning, and that's just a nice way of me saying you should be taking notes this morning, write down this first one. It's two big notes and then a couple under the second note. The first header is this, a second chance. You see, when God's amazing grace and mercy are on display, I think, I think it's a no-brainer for us to recognize a second chance is an expression of God's amazing grace and mercy. Let, let's look at the text together. Again, I know it was just read a moment ago, but just get it back into your mind. The Lord spoke to the fish. It vomits Jonah out upon the dry land. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Please say second Second, second time, saying, what's the message? Let's see what he says. Arise, get up, go, move from where you are to Nineveh, to a people I've prepared, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. We've got pastors who say yes to the vocational ministry today who are ready to arise and ready to go somewhere And they're ready to do what they believe to be God's work. But when God says to stand up and call out against something, they check out. No, no, no. I want to build a ministry of positive affirmation and just make people feel good. There are drugs for that. God's called us as the people of God to, yes, encourage, but to equip you for the real world to do the work of ministry. And sometimes that means building up And sometimes, without any contradiction, often at the same time, it means tearing down. Arise, go, call out against the city the message that I tell you, verse 3. So Jonah arose, goes to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. This is the prophet who lived out a no who lived out a no. God said, do something, and he just got up and then started spiraling down as he went the opposite direction from God. I have brought this out before, but for those of you joining us for the first time, whether online or in the building, I want to tell you something. Every step you take away from God's clear instruction, you are heading toward a spiral downward. It's inevitable. But we serve a God of amazing grace and mercy who will throw out the lifeline so that you don't have to end up that way. Wow. Jonah lives out a no. This is the missionary who abandoned his call because he would rather die than to see the enemies of Israel 
spared. And he knew, he knew that if he went and proclaimed, you'll see that come out in chapter 4, he knew. He said, God, I didn't want to go because I knew if I went and proclaimed the message of judgment that those people were going to repent and that you were going to forgive them. And that bothered me and I didn't want to do it. Again, I brought this up sometime back. We throw the word prejudiced around a lot and we get accused of that sometime as a church because we hold to objective truth. Oh, I know. Hold on. Take a, there is such a thing. But, but here's a guy who's really got issues. I'll go anywhere but there. I'll tell anybody but them. And the reason I don't want to go tell them is because you're gracious. I'm not sure how to, what to do. Where did this guy go to seminary? Because his sermon's awful too. We're going to see that in a minute. But he goes and, and he knows he's going to proclaim God's wrath. But God, knowing this, still uses Jonah. That's amazing grace and mercy on display. All right, let's do a little exercise that I think you will enjoy this morning. Take your Bibles, if you've got them, and look back. I'll put it on the screen, but it's going to be um, more funner, and that's Greek. If you'll look in Jonah 1 and follow along, all the homeschool parents are going, oh, children, don't ever say that. Um, Jonah 1, 1. This is really the way the story should have gone. Watch this. Jonah 1, 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now here's where, what should have happened next. Jonah 2, 9. Jonah responds, with a voice of thanksgiving, will I sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now Jonah 3, 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Those things are true. Those things happened, but a lot happened in between them. Okay, so if I gave you those verses and said, here's the story of Jonah, that's from the scripture. Context matters, right? Context matters. But if that would have been the story, I think Jonah would have round up in Hebrews 11 and 12, in the heroes of faith. But he didn't. He's forgettable as a prophet because of the way he treats the call of God and the way he treats the message of God. And ultimately, the way he treats the people of God. Well, that's not how it played out. But we serve a God of amazing grace and mercy. Your second header this morning, which covers the rest of the chapter, is this special awakening. We're going to see this incredible awakening that happens in Nineveh through the remaining of the text. Now, I put on there verses 3 through 10. We've already covered verse 3, but it really fits in both places, doesn't it? Because Jonah goes and begins to do the work. Let's look in verse 4. Let's see what the message that Jonah gives. Jonah has a message to Nineveh. There are three messages that happen here, and I want you to make note of that. Jo this is Jonah's message to Nineveh. Verse 4, what's the message? By the way, uh, Darren, I'm going to speak for you a little bit with a little, I hope, grace, but I, I don't think that Mr. Hendricks or any other DTS prof took you here and taught you homiletics based on the sermon that I'm about to read. I know mine didn't. Norm, it didn't happen that way. Any others that have been through a homiletics class. Here's the sermon. You ready? Jonah, verse 4, began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and calls out to the city, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That, that's all we got. That's it. That's the sermon. Like, you go, well, there's not grace in that. 
There's no love in that. There's no mercy in that. Nobody would respond. I got news for you. I'm a pastor. I know better, but I got to tell you, I don't, I'm not sure I'm responding to that. Like if I hear that, I'd lean over and elbow Darren and go like, where'd this guy go to school, right? What's up with that? I feel like sometimes, and I'm, this is complete conjecture, so let me stand right here. But I, I, like God says, I want you to tell them in 40 days, judgment is coming, right? And other prophets would bring the Psalms into that and really wrap around that some beautiful things on the majesty of God and the bigness of God and, and drive, and they would be faithful to God's message using God's word, but really like go for it. And Jonah's like, okay. Yep, 40 days and you're going to perish. Is that good? Am I done? Not that any of us have children that do the bare minimum. Not us. Nobody at Grace Covenant has kids like that, but I've read of other parents that deal with some children that do the bare minimum. You've got employees sometimes that just do the bare minimum, and you go like, yes, technically you've complied, but you're still fired because you're awful, right? <laughs> I want to be around you. Jonah did what God commanded just barely, right? He does what God's commands, but here's the thing. When it's God's word, it's still power-packed. When it's God's message, God works more times than not, and I wish this weren't the case in my own life, but I'm convinced the more I learn about me that God works in spite of my hang-ups. God's looking for yes men and yes women to be faithful to the call that he puts on their life because he wants to reach the nations for his glory and his honor. Jonah doesn't beat around the bush. He's not being colorful. He doesn't even add an illustration. He doesn't open with a good opening. He doesn't close with a good close. He just gets right to it. It's like, welcome to the steakhouse. Shabow! There's your ribeye, medium well. I'm out. There's no ketchup. There's no A1. Eat it, take it, or leave it. That's the way it happens. He does mention 40 days. What's up with that? Why 40 days? Well, 40 days pops up in the Bible a lot. Let me talk to any uh, elementary age kids in here. If I say it something for 40 days and 40 nights, I'm probably talking about... Try that again. Turn the mic this way so people know there are people here. I promise there are kids here. Okay, it's something for... It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm probably talking about... Wow, see, told you. We'll edit that first part. Um, 40 days is often associated in Scripture with judgment or testing. Now, I know we all have Noah's Ark images up in our kids' nurseries. You ever process that? Like, the kid starts asking questions. Mom, I love, tell me this story. Well, God destroyed everything. <laughs> Why is this on my wall? And then you jump to the title of the day, because God is a God of amazing grace and mercy. Yeah, yeah, Noah. Noah was spared. But look at the pretty animals. Aren't they nice? Yeah. Jonah, or, or Noah, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. The Jewish spies explored Canaan for 40 days. Um, the nation of Israel was tested in the wilderness for 40 years. Goliath taunted the army of Israel for 40 days. And the Lord, the righteous one who alone is worthy, gave the people of Nineveh 40 days to repent. Jonah says in 40 days, judgment is coming. What about this sermon or message? Was there any more than this? I don't think so. He could have brought his prayer lesson into this. God's in charge. He's merciful. We belong to him. Doesn't. Just says what it is. Listen, the main idea of the, what he says here is not the extent of the content of the sermon, but the obedience of God's servant and how it brought glory to God. 
Jonah did tell the truth. Jonah did proclaim God's word. It may not have been popular. It wouldn't be popular today. It might not land well, and it may hit differently in 2022. But I've come to tell you this morning, newsflash, there is objective, absolute, eternal truth. And it is forever settled in heaven by the creator and ruler himself. This is truth. Without any mixture of error. God's word is absolutely true. There's a lot of truth that we love hearing. We love to hear about heaven. I do. I know that you do. We love hearing about the God who is the architect of this wonderful city called heaven. The engineer behind the streets that are paved with gold. The mind and the heft behind the twelve gates made of pearl, the builder of the rooms who in his home compared to mansions down here on earth. God so loved the world that he made a way by sending his precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we might be able to spend eternity with him in a place, a real place, where there'll be no more crying. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more heartache, no more pain, no more elections. Hallelujah. The king, the sovereign ruler will reign and never be up on a ballot for any decision. No more night because the glory of God will light the city itself. This is truth from God's word. This is not escapism. This is not fanciful fancy or fiction this is objective absolute eternal truth from God but just like there's a heaven to gain there is a hell to shun and it is equally objective absolute and eternal truth judgment is coming Everyone must give an account and everyone must appear before the judge who demands holiness to enter that holy city. Every one of us has violated God's law, God's standards. The Ninevites were especially skilled in violating God's law. But I've got news for you. As wicked as the wickedness and the great evil of Nineveh that crept up before the throne and got God's attention was... I would put before you that any nation that calls the truth a lie and that celebrates and empowers and funds a culture of death and destruction is equally deserving of the judgment of God. It's a wicked nation that would do things like this. Mark Jones, in a recent article on the five myths of hell and judgment put these forth and I would use them this morning just to bring our attention quickly it's not the point of the sermon but we've got to go there you see there's a lot of teaching out on hell what does the Bible actually say about it can't believe we're in Jonah 3 and he's talking about hell we're doing baptisms today yeah because it all goes together myth number one Jesus wasn't really concerned with hell Well, 11 unique times in the Gospels, Jesus spoke of hell with authority, clarity, and specificity. And he did not speak of heaven 11 times in the Gospels. Well, how about this? The Old Testament that you guys love so much, it wasn't concerned with hell. Actually, Isaiah and Daniel both address it 
with clarity as the unfolding truth of God and revelation of God is occurring. It's there. Myth number three, hell is not an endless place of punishment. Well, for that to be true, you'd have to delete significant portions of Matthew, Mark, Jude, and Revelation, where it is clearly described as an everlasting place of torment. Number four, hell is merely separation from God. You don't need all those flames and all that kind of gore and stuff. It's just, hell is really, really, it's just separation from God. Well, this is misleading. There's some truth in that, but it's not just that. It certainly includes the idea of separation from Christ. In Matthew 25, verse 41, the Bible teaches us that you, Christ, you'll have no access to Christ there. But hear me, it's the opposite of separation from God in this way. A God-hating sinner who does not have a mediator remains in the presence of a holy, righteous, and powerful God without a buffer for eternity. That's eternal conscious torment according to Matthew, Luke, Acts, and Second Chronicles. Lastly, hell is simply giving people what they want. Well, in a sense, people who do not want Christ on earth will be without Him in hell. But nobody, nobody, nobody that has spent 60 seconds in the eternal lake of fire wants to be there, especially forever. It's not a party. There are no DJs. There's no alcohol. It is unfiltered assault by the holiness of God. Take a deep breath. That's heavy. That's, uh, that's not very popular teaching and preaching today too, by the way. But just as there's a real heaven, there's a real hell. Last night at a missions conference, the Halls and the McGrews and, and I and Ashley was with me, we were there and we heard a, a, a missions pastor from a church get up and speak and he couldn't share the grand vision, the awesome, exciting vision of missions without acknowledging the reality of hell. This morning, your pastor's dealing with it. And, and I got a text before I came to church that from a friend of mine, Doug, you've heard me mention him in Danville, Virginia. Tonight, he's preaching somewhere and he says, and I've got to speak on hell. Why am I telling you this? Because there's a, there's a, a word out there that says, nobody's talking about it anymore. Well, you, you know better than that. I've got to endeavor to preach the whole counsel of God, whether it's popular or not, whether it hits right or not. Here's the reality. Jonah's message was the promise of reality. It was truth. You, Nineveh, are on the road to destruction, whether that was going to be by invading forces or not, you're on the road to eternal destruction. And I've got news for you. Without a Savior, so is everyone else. In the Hebrew text, there are only five words in Jonah's sermon, yet it was enough to bring people to respond 
to God. Let's look at verse 5 and see what happens. You're about to see one of the most surprising passages in all of Scripture. I wish you could unlearn what you know about Jonah and then respond to it because this is pretty spectacular. These God-hating, Israel-hating people, like that just hated anything that moved, Look at how they respond. And the people of Nineveh stoned... No, the people... Again, I'm sorry, really. There's this pitiful little Jewish man walking through the city alone. He's got no... Like, he doesn't have his bros with him. It's just him. There's no entourage with him. Like, he's not out there. He didn't live tweet it while he was going and, and get a kind. He didn't have... Y'all pray for me. I'm going to go. But he didn't want anybody to know because he had resisted God to start with. This little Jewish guy. So this little man from the enemy nation is walking through the streets saying, 40 days, judgment's coming. Does this go the way you think it would go? It doesn't for me. The whole people, the people of Nineveh, believed God. (laughs) And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This is Nineveh's message to God. If Jonah's message to Nineveh was judgment is coming, Nineveh's message to God was this, we repent. We repent. Wow. What amazing grace and mercy is on display for us right here. It goes from the streets To the palace, this is not a grassroots campaign to try to get some people on board with something. No, it is demonstrating that the one on the street and the one in the palace are on level ground when it comes to God's eternal truth. And I don't care if your 401k is doing just fine or if you you don't have a job that would ever, like if you asked about a 401k from your employer, they would laugh at you. Go like, (laughs) what? Like, it doesn't matter if you are wealthy or if you are in abject poverty this morning. It doesn't matter what your background, what your socioeconomic status, your ethnicity, your heritage, your lack of heritage, whether you were cut off from family here or whether you've had a rough life or whether you've had a great life. It doesn't matter. We all stand on level ground before God. And we all need His amazing grace and mercy at work in our lives. Let's read on for just a few moments as we finish this up. The word reaches the king of Nineveh. Oh, what's the king going to do? Surely he's not going to humble himself. What does he do? He gets up from his throne, removes his robe, covers himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And then he issues this proclamation that says, look, nobody's going to eat or drink water. Verse 8, let everybody turn from his evil. He says they're calling out mightily on God and from the violence turn from that that's in their hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. This is a pagan, militant king who is humbled under the hand of an almighty God. From a little Jewish guy walking through giving a bad sermon, but it's enough for him to respond. Now, there's so much encouragement here for those of you who are trying to reach, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but for those of you who are trying to reach family and friends who don't know Jesus and you are paralyzed by perfection, you think if I don't share everything perfectly, if I don't get every I dotted and T crossed, if I share this, if I don't say that one word, they might miss Jesus. I've got news for you. Go tell them about Jesus. Just go tell them. Don't be paralyzed by perfection. Don't lie to them. But tell them the truth about Jesus. There's a God who made everything, who set us up to rule with him, but we rebelled against God. 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God won't let us rebel forever, but God sent his only son to save us because he's a God of amazing grace and mercy. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we repent and turn from that wickedness and toward him. And we get to rule and reign forever with Christ. That's enough. Don't let perfection paralyze you from sharing the message. Be encouraged by Jonah, a pitiful prophet, a miserable missionary, and a bad preacher who still got it done. When God's truth is proclaimed, simple, small, profound, and sometimes unpopular, and sometimes judgy-sounding truth, sorry, it just is, powerful things are happening as long as it's God's truth. The people of Nineveh were deeply and profoundly impacted by the power of God here. They repented. From the poorhouse to the palace, they repented. Now, what does it mean to do that. The king puts on this uh, sackcloth and ashes. Why don't we do that today? I don't know. Have you ever grabbed a burlap sack? Most of us don't know much about that. Our grandparents did. Potato sacks. Potatoes used to come in that. Burlap is the closest thing we have. They would put essentially burlap on their skin. I'm sure they didn't look that up on Pinterest because that nobody would tell them to do that, right? That's not a sin. That's not a way to uh, exfoliate the skin. It's a way to rip skin off, right? <laughs> It's terribly uncomfortable, itchy, and then ashes on them. Here's what it does. It was a sign they wanted outward discomfort to remind them that their soul should be in discomfort. That's essentially what's happening. They're so grieved. You see some of the priests tearing their garments in the New Testament and, and, and some people walking around in sackcloth and ashes. It was a sign of humility and repentance, and the king was doing it. The king did it. The truth is, if you walk through Nineveh during this time, you couldn't pick the king out from the rest of them, and that's the point. All of us stand on level ground. All of us need that. This is godly sorrow. How do I know that? Because it brought about repentance. They're not just sad that they sinned. They're recognizing they need to be changed from the inside out. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. You felt a godly grief, Paul's talking to the church at Corinth, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Worldly grief produces death. Verse 11, for we see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation and fear and longing and zeal, what punishment. Wow, wow, what amazing grace and mercy. This pagan nation gets it. And the it is God working on the inside of them. In the New Testament, Luke 13, there's a group of people that come up to Jesus and ask him about recent tragedies. There's been some tragic things happening, Jesus. What's the reason for all these things? And you think Jesus, the empathetic, sympathetic, loving Jesus is going to say, I know, life is, when life hands you lemonade, I mean, when life hands you lemons, sorry, I get to the punchline sometimes too fast. When life hands you lemons, right? I don't know. I, I just want you to be happy. I don't think Jesus said any of that. That accent was intentional. Um, what did Jesus say? They're saying, look at these people. They died. And Jesus responds to them in Luke 13 and says, yeah. And I tell you that unless you repent, you will perish just like they did. Well, that's not very seeker sensitive or audience aware he did he really need to say that yeah he's the son of god he knew exactly what needed to be said in that moment he knew exactly the message Nineveh need and he knows exactly the message you and i need 
It's the amazing grace and mercy and kindness of God that he warns us of judgment to come. Well, this morning as we hasten on, let's look at verse 9 just to see that humility in action one more time. The king says, who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. With the king is talking like this, you know he's humbled. He's recognized they can't do anything to fix everything. They've just got to respond with obedience to God's word and throw themselves on the mercy of God. Today we'll celebrate five individuals, young and old alike, who have thrown themselves on the mercy of God and recognized their way was leading toward death and destruction and God's way alone was the path to life eternal. And they're getting baptized and we've got shirts they'll wear in the water that says made new and they're going to wear them loud and proud to say to the world, I belong to Jesus. I get it. God has to work in me and through me for this to work. You don't puff up in the presence of God. No, you will humble yourself and worship and submit. This is amazing grace and mercy on display. Your final thought this morning from verse 10. Now we're going to see God's message to Nineveh and you know what it is grace and mercy grace and mercy verse 10 when God saw what they did how they turned from their evil way God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it remember this is a lawless people they're wicked they're cruel they hated God they had no moral code no standard of justice they were corrupt A pastor friend of mine in Tennessee says it this way, they had no sense of justice, order, or law because they did what was right in their own eyes. These people, though, are convicted to the core of their beings. They cry out to God for mercy, recognizing that He alone is in charge and He is fully capable and just to judge them and wipe them off the face of the planet. But they say, have mercy, have mercy. God responds with amazing mercy grace and mercy God didn't change his mind God changed their hearts hallelujah the greatest evangelistic meeting in all of scripture happened in the old testament tell me that's not amazing grace and mercy but it was amazing grace and mercy that they heard the truth it was amazing grace and mercy that Jonah was given a second chance It was amazing grace and mercy that that fish was right where it needed to be at the moment and got sick at the right moment to get rid of the prophet. (laughs) It was amazing grace and mercy that God pursued Jonah in his rebellion. And it's amazing grace and mercy that God would even care about Nineveh who hated him in the first place. But the Bible says that all of us that aren't walking with Jesus are actually enemies of God. That's not popular. But that's what the Bible teaches us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You don't read Jonah, I hope, after this sermon series and marvel at the fish, trying to figure out what kind of fish it was. By the way, the fish is only in three verses mentioned. That's not the message of Jonah. What kind of fish... You know, there's a scientist in 1947 that found a fish that could I don't, it doesn't matter. If he said it was a dragon that did it, if he said it was a, a gorilla that could swim in the water, it's not the point of the message. 
the, what's dripping off all of the text before us is that this just, righteous, holy, perfection-demanding God is a God of amazing grace and mercy and forgive sinners. I'm going to ask Julia to come. She's going to play a reflection piece for us as we prepare for communion this morning. But there are two charges here this morning. I think it's also amazing grace and mercy that we are seated and gathered here today. That God would have ordered your life to arrive here or wherever you were the first time you heard about it's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. But God commended his love toward us and that this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we repent If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is amazing grace and mercy. Sinners, are you one of those people here today who are convinced that you could never, ever actually be a Christian? You're like, you just don't know where I've come from. You don't know how much garbage is in my life and how much baggage I'm carrying right now. The book of Jonah ought to show you that God's amazing grace and mercy are available to anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. If I could line the Ninevites up here this morning on the stage, you know what they would say to you this morning? I'd pass the mic. The first one would say, please don't ignore God. The second one would say, he's pursuing you with truth today. The third would say, all you've got to do is cry out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he'll pour out his grace and mercy on you. God knows everything about you, and he still loves you. And he still saw fit to have you here today to respond to the truth of God. Saints in the room, to my brothers and sisters, God called Jonah not to blow up his ministry or make a name for himself, but to make a name for God, to reach Nineveh. God saved Jonah to reach Nineveh with the gospel, with the God's message, Old Testament, God's message. Ready? Let's do a little word switcheroo. God saved you to reach fill in the blank with God's message. What's keeping you? Don't let perfection, if God can use Jonah, I think you're all in better shape than him. I've met most of you. Be encouraged this morning. Ask God. It's not about your skill or your power or your way of doing things. It is not by might. It's by his power and his power alone. But you do have to go and you got to open your mouth and share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of our stories here today are probably in much better shape than Jonah and Nineveh's, but God poured his grace out on them, and he will pour it out on us. Talk to him this morning. Father, we cry out to you today. We're so thankful for your working in our lives and just how good you've been. We we ask you today that the people of God in the room today, Lord, we recognize we have friends and family that need you. 
Lord, I, I pray that, that you would empower us to use us for your glory, to send us, Lord, to help us to follow your voice and your word and your leading and remember that nothing is impossible with you. Lord, we commit our lives to you afresh today in Jesus' name. Amen.